Welcome to the Med Device Careers Podcast. I'm your host, Fran Moriarty. Med Device Careers is building a community shaping the future of healthcare. Each episode, I'll sit down with leaders and innovators in the med device space to discuss their career path, explore their contributions, and share their advice. Join us today at meddevicecareers.com to grow your knowledge, network, and career. Today, I sit down with Jerome Edwards, president and CEO of CardioNext. Jerome studied computer science and electrical engineering and began work for surgical navigation technologies, writing the application development library for 3D navigation of instruments in brain, spine, and ENT surgeries. SNT was acquired by Medtronic, and Jerome continued to lead the development of Localisa, the first impedance-based 3D mapping and navigation system for cardiac electrophysiology procedures that eventually turned into Abbott Navex. Jerome then went on to start Varin Medical Technologies, which navigates instruments in the lungs to diagnose and treat lung cancer. Varin was acquired by Olympus Corporation for $340 million. He then went on to start Cardionext, a company focused on building a platform for AI-enabled precision therapy in heart procedures. In our conversation, Jerome and I discuss his experience as a founder, what he sees as the three legs of the EP stool, Cardionext's focus on therapeutic AI, and the benefits of beginning your career at a startup. Please enjoy. Well, Jerome, again, thanks for sitting down with us. You know, we were talking before we started rolling that you had a computer science background. Talk a little bit about that and how you found yourself in the medical device space, maybe like what interested you early on. Actually, I started as chemical engineering in undergrad and really sort of found a passion for physics and electrical engineering and, and computer science and, and went that way. And then there was this company recruiting on, on campus. I went to the Colorado School of Mines uh, and there's this company recruiting on campus and they had these monitors of, of, of brains and, and kind of maps and mapping systems mm-hmm. essentially and you know things like that uh, displayed in, in our gymnasium at, our, at, uh, at school and I was like wow that's really cool. I you know, went to work for this little startup uh, uh, called Stealth Technologies that was building essentially a mapping system, a navigation system for uh, brain surgery and spine surgery and it was called the Stealth Station. Um, and, and very similar to you know mapping and navigation systems in cardiac electrophysiology, but this is for uh, you know brain and, and, and spine surgery. And you know I took a job as a, uh, a programmer essentially for these uh, neurosurgical mapping and navigation systems, and wrote C++ code for those systems. And then you know we were acquired by Sophomore Danic, which is a big spinal implant company. Mm-hmm. And and just like I think like a year later we were acquired by. Medtronic. So Medtronic acquired, you know, Sophomore Danic and Surgical Navigation Technologies as part of that. And it was really um, an interesting experience to kind of go from 30 or 40 people that I knew of in a, you know, company to Sophomore Danic and thousands of people to Medtronic to whatever, 50,000 people. And it was, you know, an interesting experience. But for me, I think, you know, where I kind of figured out what, what I wanted to do um, was, uh, Bill George, the CEO of Medtronic, you know, came to Colorado and you know did the the Medtronic medal, um, you know the the Earl Bakken uh, founder the the Mission Medal mm-hmm. presentation ceremony and gave us all our our medals and 
And then after that, uh, which is a, which is an amazing experience, by the way, to, to be associated with, you know, always understanding what the mission of the company is. I love that. Um, and got to meet Bill George. Uh, but our, our founder, um, Kurt Smith, was, was giving a, a, a presentation to Bill afterwards, and, and I got to sit in and watch that. Kurt was giving him a, a whole presentation on the future of neurosurgery and, and where it needed to go with, you know, hip segmenting hippocampi and understanding different you know, neurological diseases and, and things like that. It was just so cool. And Bill George was really like, you know, his Fortune 500 CEO yeah. was like, was really enthralled and enamored and buying into the vision of what's possible with, with this platform of technology. And I was like, wow. Like what Kurt just did, that's what I want to do in life. You know, like I want, I want to build a vision around platforms and, and be able to uh, uh, convince important people in, in the world that, that this is something that needs to be built. And from there, that kind of pivoted my, my career from you know, just writing code to um, kind of the business side of things. Yeah. That's so fascinating. I think about getting that early exposure, just, you know, not only, um, working at a, at a small company, but with an acquisition and then a larger company and then, you know, being able to see sort of like almost like the life cycle of a, of a, of a technology, right? So from sort of beginning to end acquisition and, and the relationship between larger and smaller companies, it's, it's really fascinating. So then you went on and founded uh, Varen Medical Technologies? Yeah, it, it was, it was, um, it was a lot of learning and, and I like, I mean, I admit I make, I'd made way more mistakes than I can even, you know, count. I mean, I was 27 when I um, founded and raised the first $2 million for for Viren in the Vanderbilt University Business School, like on the third floor. Like, that's where the company was headquartered. You know, proceeded to make so many mistakes and, and learn from all those mistakes. And I, I, I like to describe Viren as like my PhD and postdoctoral fellowship in entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I learned so much and it was um, certainly uh, an awesome experience and we're, we're definitely incorporating those those lessons learned in how we build cardio next and um, you know some of the lessons that you know that we've we've learned um, one I think the the most important thing is you know you, you got to put the company in a location that you can be happy like living mm -hmm. and and enjoy life and enjoy your family and you know do the things that you love because building companies is 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 such a hard, really, really difficult thing. And when you come home and you're not happy, like it's, it, it just, it just makes it even that much more harder. And we, you know, like I said, I started it in Nashville, you know, at Vanderbilt, and um, we moved to St. Louis for five million dollars of investment from, you know, some VCs. And you know, that was not a good move. That was not. It, it really put stress on, on my family life everybody's you know so um we're back home in bold you know boulder colorado which is an awesome place to live and and um you know there's there's a healthy work-life balance there where you know yeah we're doing something really stressful and difficult but we're out skiing and hiking and fishing and you know we're enjoying um, i have three children and we're outside enjoying our lives and we're happy so that's probably the biggest thing that that i've I've learned is just, you know, you, you've got to have like happiness at home and, and, and a foundation because you're doing something really difficult. I think the other, you know, the thing that I would say is um, not all money is the same color, you know. Um, we, we, 
uh, we raised a lot of money. And, you know, we we raised money from angels. We raised at Viren. Mm -hmm. We raised money from angels. We raised money from VCs. We raised money from GE Capital. We raised money from Intuitive Surgical. It was. Uh, I just thought all money was the same color, and you know, it's just all about um, getting as much capital as possible to build a company. But it can yeah. get messy, uh, especially at board dynamics and what certain parties want and you know the time horizons for certain funds and small funds versus big funds and there's just so with Partionex we're very very picky about who we allow to invest we don't we don't uh, necessarily take everybody's money you right know? so I think it's it, we're very careful about you know the the the, the, the folks that we take capital from and we we try to maintain a nice um, vibe energy yeah. And it's interesting. I want to drill down on that a little bit more, but I did want to come back to the point you made about the work-life balance. You know, I don't want to say it's it runs counter narrative to like some of the startup ethos or culture, but I think it's one of those things that it's a lesson that you learn sort of like on the ground. It's like you go from a nine to five to a twenty-four-seven, right, with a startup. And so there's this notion of if you're not, you know, sort of putting everything into it all the time you know, singular focus, and it's d incredibly difficult, right? Like, as you know, the uh, success rate is like low double digits. And so I think have the uh, emotional intelligence to be able to say, no, I, like I need to prioritize my personal life and my family life. And that in turn will sort of inform how I'm feeling and then how I'm you know, making decisions at work. It's not unique, but I think it's um, a breath of fresh air in a way. But, you know, as it relates to raising capital, Traditional VC, right, seems to be sort of investing later in a company's life cycle, which, you know, may in turn sort of have a negative effect on like early innovation with medical technology in, in particular, right? So when you're starting a company or as a founder, you already need to be thinking about ways that you de-risk, right? So like whether like it's knowing your regulatory pathway or reimbursement or how you're going to kind of cross that valley of death. And to your point about being selective in, you know, the capital that you uh, that you accept shows that there's like a, sort of a long-term vision for the for the mm -hmm. company. What's been your experience with like at Cardionex? Like, um, have you like looked at other sort of sources of capital that are like kind of non-traditional, or like what's been that process for you? Because you know they say hardware is hard. It, there's a lot of sort of upfront labor I think that has to happen initially before you sort of hit that escape velocity, so. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that we're probably uh, non-traditionally financed. I mean, it's it's pretty much um, family offices. In some situations, they're organized as funds, mm -hmm. as um, maybe uh, to the outside world, they'd be perceived as a venture capital fund, but really they're more like family offices. And, and that's the beautiful thing about America, is there there are so many different capital sources and you know whether it's VC or private equity or or family offices or individual angels or crossover investors or you know the the public markets and thank god the public markets are seemingly opening up now you know like even e even though you know we we're not ready for that like there's there's a trickle down effect um, for the the IPO windows opening right. in in the medical device world, right? I mean, this last 
you know, 18 months has been a blockbuster year for medtech um, IPOs, and there's a trickle-down effect down mm -hmm. to even you know small startups. It just it just opens up the the potential paths and and SPACs and all that stuff. Right. When you have optionality uh, in ways that you can go, it, it just it just makes it. Um, you know, more friendly in terms of terms and, and more friendly in terms of people that see or that are willing to invest because they know that there's ultimately, you know, more paths to, to an exit. So I think things are moving in the right direction and it's, it's, it's healthy for the medtech community. So with CardioNext, you know, you make the move into, into the cardiac space. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, how that came about what drew you in to the world of EP? You know, we were talking earlier about how it's, you know, there's so much innovation and growth and it's still sort of like the Wild West. I'd just be curious to hear, like, what was the impetus behind starting Cardionext? I enjoy building, you know, products for doctors. I mean, that's, that's sort of, um, you know, my calling, right? And, you know, as we look at the different types of doctors that I can work with, Man, I, I just love the cardiac electrophysiologist. You know, they're they're. I'm a computer science and electrical engineer. I mean, that cardiac electrophysiologist is essentially, you know, an electrical engineer with a medical degree. So there's, to use a you know electrical engineering term, there's a great impedance match between my DNA and their DNA. And um, so if I, if this is my life's work. Where else would I want to, you know, be? And I had exposure to um, uh, this type of customer, this type of physician, when I was at Medtronic, and we built, uh, you know, the, actually the first mapping system, the Localisa, which is an impedance-based system that turned into Navex. But anyway, the the point is that that I was exposed to that customer, and I wanted to come back to that, you know, that relationship of working with. Uh, with cardiac uh, electrophysiologists, so that's you know one of the you know the reasons that we you know came back into cardiac electrophysiology with CardioNext. You know, from an engineering standpoint, you know we we looked uh, and we've we've added pieces to the story, but the first piece was sort of look. I mean, it, all these other markets have navigation systems too. You know, brain surgery, spine surgery, ENT surgery, lung surgery, like Viren. And all of these navigation systems, they use um, this thing called dynamic referencing, where they put, you know, a reference marker um, on or in the anatomy that they're working in, very close to the field that they're, they're working in. They put a, a reference that's tracked by the navigation system. And, and really, we don't do that in cardiac or the, the market does not do that. The, uh, the reference is external. And when, you're f when your reference or your origin to your coordinate system is far away from the, the field that you're working in, mm -hmm. any slight motion error is magnified in a moment arm effect down to the field that you're working in. And so we, we thought that there, you know, if we could put the, the reference back in the heart, like very close to where we're, we can have much greater accuracy right. of navigating instruments in the heart. So from an engineering standpoint, like, like wow, that, that needs to be fixed. That really needs to be fixed. And, and we've developed a way to do that with, um, you know, a hybrid two, two tracking system of tracking an internal reference. And um, that was sort of the, the first step. And then, then we've, you know, we're really um, become more uh, enamored with um, artificial intelligence. And AI is making such a big impact in 
radiology and and pathology and you know look at companies like page AI and um, e even you know even in AFib detection right but um, these are all diagnostic pattern recognition you know applications of AI very little amount of use of AI in the operating room in the uh, cath lab where you're making decisions that that are evidence-based mm -hmm. right you're making decisions on where to cut where to sew where to burn you know where to uh, ablate we don't really use AI to help us you know even though we could benefit from all the things that we've learned in the past if we can bring that decision point of where do I burn where do I cut where do I sew I, th I think there can be some significant improvements in the standard of care especially as it relates to persistent atrial fibrillation because the outcomes honestly are still pretty low right the the idea of using AI pattern recognition pattern recognizing uh, abnormal electrical conductions uh, recognizing scar tissue characteristics that are um, you know associated with um, causing arrhythmia causing afib that's a problem for a or for artificial intelligence and so we're we're, you know, we're super excited about that, that we can be a pioneer in bringing AI into the operating room or the cath lab, you know, combining that with the world's most accurate, you know, navigation. And we believe that that's going to improve, um, you know, outcomes in, in very difficult disease states such as, you know, persistent atrial fibrillation. And, and thankfully, I think, because this market is such a dynamic market, there's other uh, innovation that's happening that's actually going to open up the market and make it easier for companies like us to uh, get our you know technology out there too and, and I'm speaking of pulse field ablation right like that's that's coming and it's it's actually going to open up the market you know we're um, and it's 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 really a good thing so it's just a perfect you know time actually um, and it's a it's a convergence or confluence of, of things that uh, uh, we're we're very excited about and why we're doing yeah next. so for me that that's what I in particular, I think, you know, among other things, um, you know, I'm interested in talking a little bit about, you know, this notion of having a Turing complete platform. But it seems like, to your point, there's a lot uh, of sort of AI-enabled, you know, diagnostics in the space. But to have a focus on the therapeutic side, I think, mm -hmm. is it's sort of fertile ground, right, for for innovation. But back to your point about PFA, you know, I I know you've had sort of an analogy of the three legs of the stool as it relates to EP. You know, PFA being one of them. You know, what what do you see the other two legs and and how do they sort of come together? And to your point about you know these emerging technologies sort of you know reshuffling the deck as it were with uh, incumbents and upstarts, um, just you know I, talk me through that a little bit more because that's I think particularly interesting. Yeah, and I don't know that we knew or understood all of these things when we started the company, but as and you, you very seldom know everything when you start a company and you learn along it's learning on the job but um, as we've really studied this market I think we really believe that there's as you say three legs to the stool one is identifying the tissue that's causing the problem you know identifying the substrate or the the heterogeneity that is you know causing the irregular flow of electricity in the heart so finding the source tissue that's that's mapping you know that can be uh, organized mapping or that can be something chaotic that needs AI like AFib mapping right but finding the source tissue is the first leg of the stool 
And the second leg of the stool is you got to be able to get an instrument to that uh, target tissue with accuracy better than a millimeter. And, mm -hmm. and you know, we, we're very confident that we can get our, uh, with our navigation system, we can get our instruments back to the targets, you know, within 0.4 millimeters, you know. So getting back to the target for the duration of a procedure or getting your instrument to the target to deliver therapy, deliver ablation, deliver stem cells, deliver what, whatever it is, is an important part of, you know, the second leg of the stool. So navigation actually is hugely important, especially in a world where doctors are becoming more sensitive to radiation exposure, mm -hmm. right? And really not, they're, they're trying to move to zero fluoro procedures. And many of them have, you know, navigation is incredibly important. Uh, accuracy of navigation is really important. Um, the stability of the accuracy for the duration of the procedure without any map shifts is really important. So that's the second, you know, leg of the stool. And then the third leg of the stool is, is actually ablating the tissue. And, you know, there's, there's two pieces to that puzzle, which is, um, you know, getting a good transmural lesion, a deep enough lesion, uh, you know, a permanent enough lesion. That's one aspect to it. But then there's the safety aspect, which is ablating the tissue without uh, damaging collateral structure, not uh, ablating into the esophagus, right? Not having phrenic nerve injury, not having PV stenosis. Mm -hmm. And and I think that the reality is that, you know, historical ablation modalities, you know, operators modulate the, the energy energy, dial back, you know, take their foot off the accelerators, so to speak, so that they avoid those complications right. because maybe RF and cryo were perfectly fine, but maybe we're, they're being modulated because of the fear of, of the complications. So pulse field brings that, uh, kind of removes that fear, right, because it's tissue specific and you can, you can DC ablate essentially. Mm -hmm with electroporation and, and not worry about damaging the esophagus, not worrying about, um, and, and it's not, you know, necessarily contact dependent, so contact force is not really a thing, you know, and so uh, it, it really kind of opens up the market, um, but it is, you know, an important, you know, leg of, of the stool. The, so again, finding the source, getting to the source, and ablating the, the source or delivering therapy to the source uh, without collateral damage. You know, those are the three legs of the stool. And quite honestly, um, our board, our investors are quite aware of those three legs of the stool. And we're, we're committed to building the complete stool, you know, building a, a, a real company here. There's different ways to do that, right? There's internal development, there's uh, mergers, mm -hmm. there's ways to acquire licensed technologies, and you know, there's no short of a dozen pulse field ablation companies that, that have something today. So we're looking at all of those paths, but we like to uh, look at the, the world as it really is, you know, as opposed to just looking at you know, our piece and, and, and saying that our piece is the most important piece. We we're, we're try to be respectful of what, what's really happening in the world and how the market's moving. And I think that that's that awareness, because again, I think it comes back to your point about sort of the origin as partnering with physicians and helping them solve problems, mm -hmm. right? And so the thing that interests me about, about EP in particular is that the innovation is as such that oftentimes you're not just educating them on uh, iterative of something they've done before, but it's totally new, right? So sort of navigating that and working with in a space where there are such larger incumbents, I think what's interesting about what you just said is that it, it seems like sort of a, an opportunity for a company to, um, 
you know, seize the moment and be able to um, move maybe quicker in, in ways and, and provide value sooner, um, which I think is, is really interesting. So Turing Complete platform. So I, I understand what that means, you know, sort of uh, computer science wise, but how does that relate to the physician's experience, you know, on, on uh, CardioNX? Just kind of going back to the, the name Alan Turing and, and the, the, com compu uh, the computer science foundations. Uh, so he was a genius that uh, cracked the German you know, code and I have a lot of respect for him as a mathematician and a computer scientist. So Turing complete means you know, from, from this platform or this core, you can create just about everything else you need to. It can be interpreted in many different ways. So that's why we like to say Turing complete. And in the EP lab, mapping and navigation is kind of the core, mm -hmm. right? Like everything sort of plugs into that. Right. And, you know, is navigated off of that, is displayed. I mean, cardiac electrophysiologists are, are staring at 3D mapping and navigation systems for 95% of the procedure. You know, we're, we're trying to build the best platform that has um, you know, interfaces to the things that they need and tight interfaces and uh, you know, seamless integration so that it's easy for them to process in, in a way that um, they don't have to you know, stomp the foot pedal right. and, and hit x-ray and um, you know, all the information is, is really assimilated and displayed uh, in, a, in a way that they can process it very quickly and keep their hands and, and brain focused on, on the patient. Yeah. So I don't know um, if you play chess, but there's a, a notion of seizing the middle. Mm -hmm. So, you know, essentially you're restricting your opponent's movements and, um, you know, it sort of like embodies that notion of forward thinking. And it came to mind when uh, a, a talk that you gave around disrupting 2D procedural imaging, right? And so sort of the, the strategic implications of that that are, are maybe broader. I'd be curious to hear what your, your sort of thoughts are on that. That's a, a good question. And, you know, we, we I, I want to be careful that, um, you know, startups have to be focused on one thing at a time. And, and you can't just go burn a bunch of money everywhere. You have to sort of build things. But you also have to be aware of the world and aware of what, what could be your encore, what could be your next thing. And, and, and honestly, you have to be able to communicate that to uh, the capital markets as well. You know? And you know, we've been working with some smart advisors that um, have sort of helped us turn on the lights to see that you know, yeah, this like a lot of these procedures, even like Watchman procedures and you know structural heart procedures, um, are done with this kind of 2D X-ray you know thing, and and that's that can be improved dramatically. You know, especially if you have you know a system uh, that can navigate instruments in the heart, around the heart, um, on the outside the epicardial uh, surface very accurately because of this dynamic referencing, because of this internal referencing. We're, we're playing around, we're, I want to be careful to say that you know, we're being very capital efficient, but we're, we're playing around with ways to improve watchman delivery or, or left atrial appendage delivery. Um, that's, that's all very possible uh, in, in taking that to more 3D and less radiation exposure um, uh, capabilities or, or uh, delivering it, you know, with with a system and a platform like ours. So, uh, you're, you're right. Like we we do want to, you know, occupy the center of the board, and uh, and, and think about where we can we can 
move next on the chessboard. Yeah, I, I'm always curious to um, hear, you know, from people who have found success, like um, of, of times where uh, you know, maybe things didn't go the way that they had initially anticipated. It, not so much to talk about what that thing was, but more about like. Um, what were the lessons learned or like what were the takeaways that you you've sort of now you know uh, internalized right and that you can sort of course correct moving forward um, I'd be curious to hear like if there was something that uh, you know whether it was from your time with with, with Varen or, or at cardio next where you know something didn't really go the way that you had you know a, a sort of anticipated and um, you know the lessons sort of that you took away from that so there's too many to count. <laughs> like, you know, uh, as a founder, uh, um, you know, I've fallen on my face so many times. And, uh, you know, we've been at the altar on certain deals, you know, and and the wedding's been called off. And, you know, it, it's been, it, it's, a, it's a roller coaster ride. And so, uh, you know, to answer your question, I would say that it's, it's more like just, have faith in and figure out what what your north star was and is uh you know at the beginning of this and and now um and it's interesting we we just had a dinner last night with um, some of our board members and one of our investors um uh, and uh, a guy by the name of bill hawkins um who's former ceo of medtronic he's an investor in our company we you know we we're talking about this what's what's the north star of this you know this company and and let that be your ultimate direction and um, you know they said it that way but they also said if you're sailing you know you're going to always hit rough waters just keep your eyes on the horizon and i think that that's that's probably the biggest thing is just like remind yourself you know for us from a clinical perspective like improving persistent afib outcomes was you know a major you know um, north star for us and i think uh, even if even if we you know have the best PFA tool for pulmonary vein isolation, there's still going to be you know the unanswered question of what do we ablate after you know pulmonary vein you know isolation, and that needs to be answered. And we're we've got some good answers for that as well as getting to those targets, and, and we believe in that. We really believe that our data is compelling, you know, and that we're on this journey, and uh, we're going to fall on our face along the way. You know, we're going to have you know, deals fall apart, uh, things, you know, not go so well, you know, um, but just come back to that, that faith, you know, it's going to work out. Um, and after Viren um, sold to Olympus, that helped me a lot because it gave me a lot of like self-confidence, like, man, I was right. And by the way, you know, it gives me great pride that Olympus is actually keeping the Viren name, you know, it's, it's Olympus Viren Technologies. You know, mm -hmm. that business unit is keeping the name that I, I put on that thing. So um, it, it gives, it helps with this. It, gives, it helps, you know, keep the confidence in, in the lows that ultimately come, always come as an entrepreneur, as a founder, staying focused on our North Star and, and you know, the horizon as the, as, the, as the seas move up and down. What's next for Cardio Next? You know, what what sort of sort of short-term goals, near you know, sort of mid-term goals? You know, where are you at, sort of, uh, in the commercialization process, building out a team? You know, um, I'd be curious as as a founder how you think about from hiring to sort of you know creating a culture. You know, as they say, like culture eats strategy for breakfast. So, you know, the the, the team dynamic is super important, and 
you know, we, we are building a culture of camaraderie and uh, uh, participation in the field. Like, I'm in, I'm personally in a lot of cases, you know. I'm in Europe a lot with, um, you know, doctors doing cases right now. And, you know, we want everybody in our company to be in the field, in cases. We, we want to sort of avoid kind of like boardroom management teams and without the, the real world mm -hmm. understanding. So that's that's kind of a, a culture thing that everybody in our company goes and, and is participant can cover a case essentially. Thanks to PrepMD, now we're expanding our team. We've, we've hired some folks from you guys. They're, they're, they're going to be going to Europe with us. Uh, uh, in the next weeks. That's a big deal for us, is, is building a real tight-knit team where everybody really understands the clinical setting, these procedures are performed in, and how our technology interfaces into a clinical setting. You know, with these multi, kind of multi-part products, or, or kind of really systems, you know, it, it takes some time to really dial it in and, and make it perfect, you know, and that's the, the phase that we're in. Our goal is to build a beachhead of, let's say, dozen to 18 centers that, um, that we've really worked with closely and um, dialed in, you know, our, our platform, our system to work well and we're doing really well in persistent cases, but also some of the other cases, you know, and flutters and, um, and VT and other things, um, and, and really sort of being narrow and deep in, in, these, in these, you know, 12 to 18 kind of uh, beachhead centers and having a strong relationship with these centers such that they can be references for our future, you know, commercialization. Because right. I, I do believe that um, you know, that you can't commercialize prematurely. You're going to just burn excess amounts of money if you're if you don't have that beachhead really locked down, and if you don't have true believers right. in in that beachhead. And that's where we are right now. Is is we're creating that beachhead of true believers, and that takes hard work of living in the lab, and it also takes some figuring out of of what things you need to interface with, mm -hmm. you know, what ablation catheters you need to interface with, what mapping catheters you need to interface with, and how to make that all work together really well. And that's the phase that, that we're in. It's super exciting, it's super fun. You know, we're, we're expecting FDA um, uh, clearance on our, our first two legs of the stool, you know, imminently. Um, and, and that'll enable us to not only do things in Europe, but also, you know, here in the United States. But call it, you know, 18 centers, you know, split 50-50 between, you know, the United States and Europe. That's, that's what we're, we're focused on doing right now. And once, once you've built that, then it's pretty easy to say, oh, look at this. I mean, they're doing a ton of cases in each, yep. in each center, and they've got really deep, you know, penetration that the, the doctors are like, you know, super... Um, you know, believers, that's easy to scale, right? you know, and then, then the capital is easy to, for scaling that, you know, but, but you really have to have that deep and narrow penetration and, and true believers in that beachhead of accounts. Right, as opposed to sort of more of a spray and pray, you know. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. It's incredibly nuanced and complex technology, but it's about building relationships with clinicians, which is, it, it's not something that is necessarily fungible, right? Like you have to, you have to put the work in to be able to do that. And by developing these sort of, you know, centers of excellence or, or um, accounts where 
you know, there's, there's deep buy-in and conversion. That allows you to, um, you know, there's this book, Crossing the Chasm, right? It allows you to cross the chasm from sort of early adopters to like a larger, broader market. And you now have a, a model um, on which you can scale. Yes. Uh, one of the questions I like to ask is just um, if there's anything that you're reading currently or, or if there's like a book that's had, um, you know, a particularly profound effect on you that, um, you know, you might recommend. You know, along the lines of seeing kind of, you know, Kurt Smith, our founder at Surgical Navigation or Stealth Technologies, give a pitch to, you know, uh, uh, Bill George. Um, uh, um, Clay Christensen is this, uh, he, he passed away recently, but uh, you know, this Harvard Business School professor that uh, uh, wrote this book, The Innovator's uh, Dilemma, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's, it's inspirational for uh, people like me. We find uh, parallels in that, it's sort of the, you know, the David and Goliath story, you know, it's, it's reincarnated in the innovator's dilemma and disruptive technologies and and so um, you know that book is you know almost almost a bible to me you know? <laughs> um, so just this this concept of you know small companies can disrupt big markets and disrupt entrenched big you know players it, it happens it really does happen uh, and, and then just uh, another one the, the you know the Michael Lewis kind of stuff uh, uh, the new, the new new thing that's an older one but um, you know, it, it's it's just um, it's just cool. It's yeah. just it's just cool. So um, yeah, I, I love I love the innovators dilemma. It's a great book. So finally, if you could give advice to somebody who's either interested in entering the the, the med tech or medical device space, or they're um, they're currently in it, and you know maybe they. Uh, are at a larger company and, and they, they really want to sort of branch out and you know what what kind of advice would you give them? You know sort of just getting into it I think you're gonna be fine you know long term but you're if you come into a startup you're gonna you're gonna get more exposure to so many different things you know you're gonna get exposure to what it's like to manage a board you know and and you know we just had last week we had some board members come in and, and give them the whole dog and pony show and you know um, some of the new prep MD people were were a part of that and you know running the system and doing the you know the, the demo and talking to investors mm -hmm. and board members and and um, you know they, they were a part of the preparation for the board member visit too because there's things that we talk about and you know preparing ourselves to present to a board um, you know there's 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 just so much more exposure and you know they're they're going to go to Prague and and do cases yeah. with you know Vivek Reddy and 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 uh, you know interact with some of the world-class doctors um, and it's not just in you know a territory or you know a small it's like we're we're thinking there's no boundaries you know so I think that um, you know I would I would say that to you know prep md people or anybody trying to get into uh the med tech world is don't discount the startups you know um, the brand names are are nice the big companies are nice but you might get more you might learn more in a at a rapid pace in sort of a startup environment there's something about having to jump on a plane every couple of days and or go to europe which was uh, for me it was really uh, exciting and I think it uh, it accelerates your learning and your growth in a way that I think you can't get other places. But Jerome, listen, I I, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to sit down, and um, you know it was such a pleasure. 
Thank you. Thank yeah. you for having me. Yeah. It's an honor. Absolutely. If you enjoy hearing conversations like this one, please subscribe to the Med Device Careers podcast, leave a review, and recommend to a friend to help spread the word. Are you searching for a new career, looking to hire the next Med Device star, want to grow your network, or are simply looking for a reliable source of Med Device news and insights? Med Device Careers is creating a platform for professional development and opportunity, cultivating growth through engaging content and conversations, and connecting Med Device professionals across the globe. Go to meddevicecareers.com and create a profile today. You can also follow Med Device Careers on all social platforms, and I can also be found on Twitter at PasteBeat or on LinkedIn, where I'll share what I'm reading and learning as I continue to grow my own career. Thanks again.